Christmas will be here before you know it. So now is the time to prepare your heart with a timeless devotional written by Dr. David Jeremiah called Season of Joy. Enter the Christmas season with restored hope, resounding joy, reassuring peace, and renewed faith. This inspirational book is yours for a gift of any amount in support of Turning Point. And for a gift of $100 or more, you'll receive a four-pack to share the season of joy with others. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca. That's davidjeremiah.ca. Millions of people find comfort in the concept that everyone has a personal guardian angel looking out for them. It's a popular thought, but is it true? Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah considers what the Bible says and doesn't say about their existence. The answers might surprise you. From angels, who they are, and how they help, here's David to introduce his message, Guardian Angels. I suppose you've had that discussion uh, throughout your life. If you're a Christian, you surely have. People are always talking about a guardian angel. And, and the question is, did God assign a specific angel to be the unique individual protector of every individual person? Do you have an angel on your shoulder? Do you have your angel? Well, we're going to talk about that. And I think when we get all done, you will be surprised and encouraged to know the answer to that question is way better than you think it is, and uh, we'll get to it in just a moment. I, I mentioned to you the other day that my mother thought I had a guardian angel, and I know that she always smiled when she said that, but I look back over my life, and I, I'm sure most of you are like this. I can think of two or three places where I could have really um, destroyed David Jeremiah before he ever got started in life, and somehow, miraculously, I didn't, and uh, there was a presence there. Uh, obviously protecting me. But uh, this is a good study, and I think we'll get some good truth from it. I hope you'll be with us today and tomorrow as we talk about guardian angels. You can also get the book where all of this information is chronicled, a 240-page softcover book that will help you separate fact from fiction about angels. It provides in-depth biblical truth on the topic of angels, down-to-earth and easy-to-understand in its format. You can get the book uh, just for a gift of any size during the month of November, just send a gift and say, send me the book on angels. Maybe you have this book already and you would still like to help us. Here's some other options for you. You can also get the book, Why the Nativity, as we prepare for the Christmas season. Uh, that came out last year in a new edition, and that's available this month. Or you can ask for the DVD of the entire Why the Nativity film. That's right. You can get the whole movie for a gift to Turning Point during the month of November. Choose one. Make sure you ask for it when you send your gift, and it will be on its way to you before you know it. Here's part one of Guardian Angels. What does the Bible really say about guardian angels? Does everyone really have one angel who's designed to look out just for him or her? Well, we do know that the Bible teaches that God's angels have as one of their duties the protection of his children. We know that for sure. And Deborah Faust is convinced that God's angels still perform that function today. A late night fire took most of her family's possessions, but Deborah says that the grace of God spared her most valuable assets, her children. 
Deborah and her four children, ages four to 14, had been in bed for about a half hour when her husband, Bob, who was dozing on the couch downstairs, heard crackling sounds and alerted his family to the reality of a blaze in their home. As Deborah ran to wake up her children and tell them to get out of the house, smoke started pouring up the stairs. Somehow she managed to carry her four-year-old son, Sean, down the stairs and out to safety. She had planned to go back inside and get the other children, but once outside, the smoke made it impossible for her to go back in. 14-year-old Alicia, Faust's oldest daughter, had followed her mother out of the house, but the two middle children, Dale, 10, and Wendy, 12, were still trapped inside as flames shot through the downstairs rooms. Deborah Faust said she crouched down and looked up the stairs of the landing inside for a sign of her two children. It was then that she believed she saw angels escorting her children out to safety. I saw two people in white coming down the steps. She told a mother that she thought was her brother Dale. But Dale said he had not touched his sister during the whole process. And Deborah said in this article in the newspaper in Danville, Virginia, angels took hold of them and showed them the way to get out, said Deborah as she fought back the tears. This story is so similar to the many stories we have shared since the beginning of this series. The question still comes to our minds as we hear about this. Does this really happen? How can we be sure if this really is an angelic intervention? Does God have angels for the purpose of guarding his children? Do you know it is very recent with us, this thing about angels, but it's not recent with the church. In fact, it's quite interesting to me that the older hymn writers often included references to angels in the hymns they wrote. Isaac Watts, for instance, wrote many hymn poems about angels. He had a little poem that I remember faintly from when I was very little called The Cradle Hymn. And The Cradle Hymn goes like this. Hush, my dear, lie still and slumber. Holy angels guard thy bed. Heavenly blessings without number gently falling on thy head. And another poem he wrote sounds like this. When the babes are sleeping, Father, guard their bed. May the wings of angels over them be spread. Samuel Rogers wrote about angels when he said, A guardian angel or life presiding, doubling his pleasures and his cares dividing. If you read back through the early hymns of the church and especially the writings of the early church fathers, you will discover that they were far more aware of angels than we have been in our generation. But something is happening today among evangelicals and in our world at large that is making us very sensitive to the fact that there's more going on with angels than perhaps we have been led to believe. Once again, the challenge for us is to go back to the Bible. I love exciting stories with mystery and intrigue, but they're really no more valuable to us than the support we can find for them in the scriptures. Because your stories is just as good as mine. My stories is as good as yours. And for someone who's experienced something like what we've been talking about, the reality of it is so strong that no one will ever contradict them because they know what they've experienced. But the real issue for us as Bible-believing Christians is, can we find support in the Word of God for this angel thing that is happening to us today. Well, let's begin with an Old Testament promise that we have visited before that says in general what those who believe in guardian angels want to say more specifically. 
It's that wonderful passage in Psalm 91 that begins with a promise of God's protection and ends in verses 11 and 12 with a reminder of God's angelic presence. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High, says Psalm 91.1, shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in him I will trust. And then jump down to verse 11. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. In the Old Testament, we are told that angels have as one of their functions the care and protection of God's people. In the New Testament, in a very interesting verse, as Paul was writing to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 4, 9, he mentions that we are being watched by the angels. He says, I think that God has displayed us, the apostles, last as men condemned to death, for we have been made a spectacle, watch this, to the world, both to angels and to men. Paul said, we're made a spectacle to the angels. The angels are watching what we do. So we learn from the Old Testament and from the New that the angels have an awareness of who we are. We know that for sure. And they have as one of their general assignments from God the protection and the intervention in the lives of his people. Looking back at the Bible records of history, there are many incidents that would lead us to believe that angels have been personally involved with individual children of God. For instance, you remember the verse in Daniel 6.22 where Daniel said, God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth. God did that for Daniel. And then in Acts chapter 5 and verse 19, we are told that God sent his angel and delivered the apostles from prison. But at night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out, says Acts chapter 5. In Acts chapter 12, we're told about how God sent his special angel into the prison where Peter was incarcerated and loosed him from the chains in which he was bound, took open the gate which kept him from the outside of the prison, and carried him out into the street of the city. And the record says that when he was free from all of the confinement, the angel left him. And Peter knew that an angel had delivered him from all of the stress of his imprisonment. And there's another incident that I'm reminded of with regard to the Apostle Paul that tells us that God specifically cares about individual people. Paul was on his way as a prisoner. And in Acts chapter 27, we are told that in the midst of that time of stress, when the storm was great and Paul didn't know what was going to happen, there stood by me this night, he says, in Acts chapter 27, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, do not be afraid, Paul, for you must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe God that it will be just as it was told me. God intervened in the life of Paul, sent an angel to tell him, don't worry, you're not going to have a shipwreck. Everybody who's in this ship is going to be safe. You're going to get where you're supposed to be. And I just want to encourage you. God intervened in the life of Paul. Now, I could go on and multiply these because there are many of them in the scripture where individual angels had individual attention to individual people. But these biblical examples, not usually at least, are debated by us. We believe them. We're Bible believers. Our attitude about stuff like this is if the Bible says it, we believe it. That settles it. So we don't argue about the Bible revelation of things that happened in Old and New Testament days. But the real issue then becomes, is God still doing that today? I had a man confront me after one of the early messages on angels and told me, 
that he wanted me to know that he believed I was teaching error. He just wanted to tell me, and he did it in a gracious way. But basically what he said was, I don't believe angels are for today. And I don't think we should be talking about angels. I don't think God uses angels today like he did in Old and New Testament times. I think angels are for Bible times, but not for our times. I asked him when we were finished talking if he believed that toward the end of the age there would be greater demonic activity. And he said yes. And I said, wouldn't it be rather strange that God would allow greater demonic activity as we approach the end of the age and he wouldn't counteract it with greater angelic activity? I believe as we move toward the time of the coming again of Christ, we're going to hear more about this than we have ever heard in our lives. And it's important that we know what the Bible says. Some of you are saying, well, Pastor Jeremiah, you said you were going to tell us if we have guardian angels and I'm going to do the best I can. But I've researched this and I've spent a lot of time on this trying to figure out now what should I say to these people about guardian angels? And I don't want to crush any of your dreams. I don't want to give you hopes you shouldn't have. But I want to tell you that in the Bible, there are only two passages that have anything to say about angels that would give us reason to believe we have guardian angels. One of them, it's in the 18th chapter of the book of Matthew. It's important that you see this because somebody will come to you and say, well, do you believe I have a guardian angel? Here are the only two passages in all of the Bible that give you reason to believe this could be true. Matthew 18 and verse 10. These are the words of our Lord. Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones For I say to you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. Apparently, some of God's angels are assigned to stand ready before the Father to respond instantly to his command for protection and care over these children. Jesus calls these particular angels their angels, the children's angels. And that's why some people have used this passage as their Proof text to say this passage proves that everyone has their angel. These children had their angels and we all have our angels. The other passage that teaches apparently that we have guardian angels is one to which we have already alluded in the book of Acts. Let me tell you a little bit about this and then show you what the scripture says. This chapter records Peter's miraculous deliverance from prison. And the record, as you know, is clear that when Peter was delivered from prison, the first thing he did was he headed for Mary's house because all of his friends were at Mary's house having a prayer meeting. And guess what they were praying? Oh, God, please deliver Peter from prison. I love this story. This is so real to how we function today. Peter comes to the door of Mary's house and he knocks on the door. And a servant by the name of Rhoda came to open the door. And the Bible says when she saw Peter... She freaked out. Now, it doesn't say it exactly like that, but that's sort of what it says. She ran back in the house. She didn't believe it. She was so excited, she left Peter standing on the doorstep. And I've often wondered what would have happened if Peter had gotten rearrested while he was trying to get into the prayer meeting. That would have been really great headlines for the paper the next day. And then finally, when Rhoda told all the people at the Christian prayer meeting that the answer to their prayer was knocking at the door, they didn't believe it either. And in Acts chapter 12, verses 14 and 15, we read these words. When she recognized Peter's voice, because of her gladness, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. But they said to her, you are beside yourself. Yet she kept insisting that it was so. And they said, now watch this. No, it is his angel. They said, no, it's not Peter. It's his angel. 
Commenting on this passage, one of the commentaries that I read said this, their statement reflects the belief that every person has a personal angel who ministers to them and that if the angel reveals himself, he looks and sounds much like the person under his care. The Christians gathered for prayer at Mary's house were sure that Peter had been killed and that his angel had come to tell them about his death. And so from this passage, a lot of people, along with Matthew 18.10, make the assumption that everyone has their angels or his angel. And that's where we get the doctrine of guardian angels. Now, those are the only two passages that I'm aware of that even allude to the idea of guardian angels. And many of the church fathers who taught these truths back in the early days of the church, many of them believed that every individual is under the care of a particular angel who was assigned to them. Some folks say, well, you know, there couldn't be that many angels. Look at all the people there are. Well, if you remember our earlier studies, how many angels are there? They're innumerable. And some people believe that there are so many angels that there's at least one angel for everyone who's ever been created in the history of the world. You say, how could there be that many angels? I don't know, but God is great and his ability is magnificent. And if God needed that many angels, could he do it? Yes, absolutely. Thomas Aquinas who's written more about angels than any of the people that I've read, he believed that everybody got assigned an angel at their birth and that when they were in the womb, they were under the protective care of the mother's guardian angel. So nobody was ever without direct provision by a guardian angel. Now, having said all of that, let me give you a little bit of the other side of the story. Because while there are many who would swear by the fact that everybody has a guardian angel, there are some who are not so convinced and some very reputable people that I have read and studied who don't really believe that guardian angels are a part of biblical truth. One of these men is a very respected theologian by the name of John Calvin. And here's what he had to say about guardian angels. It's very interesting. He said, whether individual angels have been assigned to individual believers for their protection, I dare not affirm with confidence. Specific angels have been appointed as guardians over kingdoms and provinces. But we ought to hold as a fact that the care of each one of us is not the task of one angel only, but all with one consent watch over our salvation. And this is what I thought was great. And if the fact that all the heavenly hosts are keeping watch for his safety will not satisfy a man, I do not see what benefit he could derive from knowing that one angel has been given to him as his specific guardian. Indeed, he said, those who can find one angel, the care that God takes of each of us are doing a great injustice, both to themselves and to all the members of the church. Did you hear what John Calvin said? He says, no matter what you believe about this, you're a winner. That's what he's saying. If you believe you've got a guardian angel, according to Matthew 18 and Acts chapter 12, great. Go ahead and believe it because there seems to be some evidence for it. But if you're not convinced you have one guardian angel, what you have to do is fall back on the promise that all the angels in God's creative world are responsible for you and they're all going to take care of you. So if you want one, and of course that's part of our materialistic culture, isn't it? We don't want to rent an angel. We don't want to lease one. We want an own one, right? We want one that's got our name on it. Isn't that true? So if that's where you are, you can have your guardian angel. But if you're not convinced of that, then let me tell you the rest of the story is all the angels in the whole universe care about you. And if God wants to dispatch them all, he can do it. Now, I don't know which one I believe. I just think either one of them is great. Isn't that true? That God's angels care about us and they can intervene in our lives as they are called to do. In fact, it's interesting as you read the scripture, 
There are many times when more than one angel was involved with one person. Do you remember when Elisha was holed up in the city of Dothan and the whole Syrian army was after him? God didn't just send one angel to deliver him. He sent a whole host of angels. Looked like an entire army of them. And there is real good evidence in Luke chapter 16 that it was several angels who carried Lazarus' soul to Abraham's bosom. And when Jesus was confronted in the garden, you remember what he said? If I want to, I could call for 12 legions of angels and they would immediately come to my defense. So maybe we shouldn't just confine ourselves to the fact that one angel cares about us because the Bible certainly teaches that on some occasions, many angels were involved. I need to tell you because some of you have asked me privately and I'll just say it publicly. No, I have never seen an angel. And you know what? If I go to my grave and I never see an angel, I'll be all right. It's no problem. If God wants to intervene in my life in such a majestic and marvelous way so that I have a chance to see an angel, that'll be wonderful. But I'm not going to rest my hope of heaven and my security of salvation on whether I see an angel. But I've been thinking about this a lot. If you were to see an angel, what kind of a situation would you expect to see him? Some of the stuff I read to you from that ad in the newspaper is so far out in left field, you can just discount that. The angel doesn't really care about your financial success. He's not going to come and give you a good feeling about yourself. That's not really the issues. But there are some incidents in the Bible, and I just want to go through them kind of as a little grocery list real quickly, that give us some idea of the kinds of situations into which angels might normally interject themselves. For instance, I think there's evidence in the Bible that when we are in times of confusion, angels might be sent to direct us. Acts chapter 11 and verse 13, we read these words of Peter. He said, and he told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house who said to him, send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter. In this situation, an angel was dispatched into a time of confusion to give direction. And I have been reminded over and over again that when angels appear in the Bible, especially in the New Testament, they seem to be bent on giving instructions. Matthew 1.20, the angel says, fear not. Matthew 2, he says, arise, take. Matthew 11, he said, send. In Matthew 27, the angel stood by Paul at night. Here's some more of them. In Matthew 2.13, the angel says, arise and flee. In Acts 10, the angel sends in Acts chapter 8, arise and go. Angels seem to be, in some special way, particularly geared to give instructions. And you know what? That's at the very core of who they are as individuals. Because what does the word angel mean? The word angel, at its very basic core meaning, is the word messenger. An angel is the bearer of a message. And the interesting thing about the scripture, and this again separates biblical angelology from much of the craziness going on today. In the Bible, angels are never sensationalized. They are sent, they give their message, but the messenger is never more important than the one who sent him. And the interesting thing is they don't stay around for the applause. They come, they do their work, and after they've done what they've come to do, they disappear. They don't stay around to get laud and applause. So different from the modern concept of angels that we read so much about today. So sometimes when we're in a time of crisis and we don't know what to do, God might send an angel to direct us. Secondly, in times of crisis, God might send an angel to strengthen us. And I have to appeal to the Lord Jesus in this regard. You remember when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane? And he went through that awful period of time, which I'll tell you what, I don't know any theologian who truly understands this. 
What did Jesus mean totally when he said, God, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but thine be done. We have some ideas of what that means, but we don't know the full impact of that. And we never will till we get to heaven. But one thing we do know, it was the most agonizing moment in the life of our Lord before the cross. The Bible says he sweat drops of blood at that moment. And when it was all over, when he was finished, listen to this, Luke twenty-two forty-three. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. Isn't that a great truth? When we're in the midst of a crisis, when the involvement between good and bad, righteous and unrighteous is great, and the war is intense, God just might dispatch an angel to strengthen us. And we'll have a lot more about that uh, when we move down the list a little bit because we have a whole uh, lesson on... Um, the angels and Christ and how the angels and Jesus are so totally involved at every particular moment in his life. God protected Jesus with his angels. He does that for us too. Tomorrow is part two of Guardian Angels, and I hope you'll join us then. In the meantime, if you haven't already done so, I hope you will ask for your copy of the book on angels when you send your gift to Turning Point during the month of November. It's your giving and your support and your prayer that keeps this going. Now, for all these years, all around the world in different languages, the message of God's Word changing lives and making a difference. We're in this together, friends, and I thank you for your part. And um, be sure and join us tomorrow on this good station as we conclude the week with part two of Guardian Angels. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, Angels, Who They Are and How They Help, please visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected. Our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's book, Angels, Who They Are and How They Help, What the Bible Reveals. Uplifting and helpful, it's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James Versions available in several distinctive cover options. Get all the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, Angels, Who They Are and How They Help, on Turning Point. If you've been blessed by the ministry of Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point, we would love to offer you two free ways to stay connected. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash magazine for a subscription to our monthly Turning Points magazine. Each exclusive issue is filled with encouraging articles and daily devotionals to strengthen your spiritual walk. You can also sign up to receive our daily email devotional and be a part of our community of friends who receive daily encouragement delivered straight to their inbox from Dr. Jeremiah. Written in a thought-provoking manner, this concise yet profound daily devotional delivers the refreshment and focus you need as you go about in today's world. You can join the more than 600,000 monthly subscribers who are building their faith each month through these free resources. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca. That's davidjeremiah.ca. 
When Albert Einstein talked about problem solving, people usually paid attention. Here's what he said. The significant problems we face cannot be solved at the same level of thinking we were at when we created them. That makes good sense. We often need to think differently, outside the box, as they say. But here's another dimension to consider. The Apostle Paul wrote that God is able to provide solutions and answers in life that are beyond what we might think of on our own. So if you have a problem today, ask God to give you answers beyond what you might think of on your own. This is David Jeremiah, encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's answers to life's problems on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.